You are listening to the Gay Florida Man podcast. This podcast is hosted by retired corrections officer, Mark DeWolf, who will discuss various topics prevalent to corrections, gay culture, arts and entertainment, as well as current events. Listeners need to be advised that this podcast will discuss situations involving extreme violence, substance abuse, sexual assault, and murder. Details of actual events have been modified so as to protect the privacy of involved parties. Welcome back to the Gay Florida Man. This is episode 10, and today we're going to be talking about the medical side of prison. Prison is just like a small city. I've said that before. I'm going to say it again. You've got the culinary, you've got the lock shop, you've got the plumbing shop, warehouse, gas pumps, electricians, but probably the most important aspect of any corrections facility is the infirmary. It's the healthcare of your inmate population. Day-to-day operations such as uh, pill line to emergency care like heart attack, suicide attempts, hospice care, childbirth, believe it or not, and any other medical situation are handled by the professionals inside your medical facility inside the prison. Joining me today is physician assistant Sue. How are you, Sue? I am good. Thank you. Thank you for being here. So how long did you work in the prison? Three years. Your whole professional career, where does your prison time rate? Fun, not so fun, had to do it. Where, where does it Where does it lie? So much fun and <laughs> so glad I did it. You could not get experience like that anywhere else in, in the world. I started my PA career there, still use things I learned there to this day. Absolutely invaluable. So, I mean, for, for people that wouldn't know, they probably hear the term all the time, PA. How do you describe a PA, a physician assistant? Could you just give like a brief uh, cliff notes on, on what it is that the PA does? We diagnose and treat just about anything. So different than nurses in that they aren't allowed completely to diagnose or prescribe treatment. So we can diagnose and prescribe treatment just like your local physician. Okay. So right we joke that we're more than a nurse, but less than a dog. Okay. So you spent three, three years inside the prison and mm-hmm. the, uh, the other years that you were working outside in the medical field and you tell people, oh yeah, I spent three years inside the prison. What do they say to you? There's a lot of eyebrow raising. <laughs> <laughs> I'll bet. I'll bet. Cause now that I'm in, I'm mostly retired. I still work a little bit, but I look like your granny. I look like your grandma. And so just because I look like your grandma doesn't mean I am your grandma. And so usually the comment is, oh, that must have been scary. And you do you go into a lot of the stories, a lot of the experiences of the, the time you were there? Most of them are not fit for, right. <laughs> for, for the patient consumption that I have typically been seeing over the past 25 years or so a few um most people don't want to know it's just it's so far out of most people's relate that they it wouldn't matter if i told them they think i'd make this shit up but you can't <laughs> it's got to be great conversation around the world oh it is we're so fun yeah <laughs> <laughs> if you and i were professionals in the office and i had never worked in a prison and i said Sue, uh, you know, I see these things on the news and I see stories and, of course, popular media. Your time at the prison, like, what's the craziest story that you've ever experienced or witnessed? Okay, so you've actually dealt with this story before, but I was in a previous podcast, but I was there as well. Um, Okay. The craziest story... So keep in mind, I worked in the emergency room. I'd been an ICU nurse for 13 years. So there, i not a wallflower, nothing. <laughs> um, you have to be a particular personality type, I think, to work at the prison and be able to handle that. Mm-hmm. Um, I was on call. There were several of us that worked there, but only three of us at the time that split call 365, 24-7. So if you were on call, you were pretty much there. And... The nurse, who you've also talked about before, 
Um, she was a great nurse. She's interesting. But if she told you that you had to come in, you went in. So I walk in and here's this guy with his hand inside his stomach. And he's like, get it out, get it out. <sighs> so, yeah, that was pretty freaky. I'd never actually seen anyone with their hand inside their guts before. Um, wow. And one of the officers actually said, um, do you need to sit down? <laughs> because of the look on my face, that was actually the only time I'd ever gotten a little weak in the knees. Uh, really? Yeah, yeah. That one made my knees jiggle a bit. So after that, just was incredibly interesting. And I wanted to hear the whole story. And I'd been hearing some stories about this guy. I hadn't actually So, So let me ask him. you this. He, I'm assuming he cut on himself and then he inserted his hand. He in. did. He'd had a previous incision and he opened that up with God only knows what and thought that there was stuff inside of his of his torso. So he'd been working his hand inside there, either putting stuff in or taking stuff out and was telling me we needed to get it out, get it out. Um, he thought there was something inside of him trying to get it out. So he'd opened that up. Did he have a, a mental illness diagnosis? Absolutely. Okay. Okay. That that I understand. Because I've, I've run into guys that had cut themselves open. Of course, there probably is a mental illness, but it wasn't extreme. But guys that just act out out of anger or for whatever reason. And I didn't know. Because I'd, I'd seen one guy that was in Utah and I talked about him in one of the podcasts. And he was one of the first people I ever dealt with. And he had razors stuffed in himself. And he allegedly had killed a prostitute in another state. And I, I'd heard, again, I don't know this from fact, I'd never saw the police report or the PSI on him. They'd only found the, the prostitute's arms. They never found the rest of her body. But he had come to Utah and was very problematic back in the beginning of my career in 97. And I didn't know if that was the person, but I, now I know we're talking about somebody else that I had talked to, Sonny. Yes. A, okay. So now who I know who we're talking about. Gotcha. Same guy, same shift, same uh, officer. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. Yep. Yep. That's, <laughs> yep. Yep. So, you know, one of the biggest responsibilities is, you know, of course there's extremes like with this situation with somebody that has their hand inside of their gut daily operations that medical is responsible for maybe obviously not your situation, but, uh, I don't know who who's the person that does the pill line typically. Is it a is it a med tech or is usually it a nurse? med tech or one of the nurses? Depends. I I mean, when I first started there, it was med techs just because they didn't have nurses to go around. And for people that don't work in a prison, just you kind of follow what we're talking about in this podcast. You do this pill line thing, and based on how often a person has to receive medication throughout the day, you have like this cart. Or if it's a lockdown section, you go door to door with certain medications to make sure that all of your people that are housed in prison get medication as prescribed. One of the biggest problems inside prison is cheeky medication, <laughs> where they will take medication and they will put it somewhere around their cheek or they're smart, they'll hide it under their tongue. Or what they'll do is they'll bring a cup to pill line and they'll, they, uh, they take the medication, they drink from the cup. Then they open their mouth. It looks like they've swallowed it, but they've spit it into the cup. And then they sell it for commissary or whatever. And one of the individuals that I know you know, Sue, that <laughs> we've talked about is somebody from New York that was very well known. And he was prescribed Depakote. And it was a liquid Depakote. And you can imagine this guy was an older inmate. And he would cheek his Depakote. And you would, I, it probably he got it back to his cell, but you can imagine by the time he sold it to another inmate, it's probably 30% saliva. Mm -mm -mm. And then he spits it into a cup and says, <laughs> Hey, for a couple of ramen, you can, uh, you can have my, my Depakote. Really disgusting. The things that you witness in, pr in prison. Cheeking is an art. <laughs> <laughs> I've never heard it quite like that, Sue. Uh, yeah, it's an art. It's an art. They, <laughs> I, I, we'd see it so much, or not see it, as case may be, but um, it, it's a real problem, and you do the best you can with 
trying to make sure that they, you know, it's not under their tongue. They get real good at it. So, I mean, there's money to be made. And if there's any uh -huh. type of medication that can give you a buzz or a high and you're dealing with addicts, then it's, it's big business. If they don't have family sending them money for commissary, no way to get things off of commissary, then yeah, sure. I'll, you know, I'll go without my medication and you can snort it or ingest it or shove it up your ass, whatever you're into. They can think of <laughs> definitely more creative ways of using meds than I ever would have thought. Yeah. <laughs> I, so, yeah. And it was, I mean, it was a way, if there was suicide attempts, for instance, it was because they got it from someone else who'd been saving it for them and they paid debts to get enough meds to, you know, try and commit suicide, those kinds of stuff. So it wasn't just simply a safety measure. Oh, you have to take your pill. It was a safety measure for everybody to make sure that no one else was getting their hands on whatever it was they were supposed to get. As a consequence of that, the medication that they can get that's approved is very limited. It got more and more limited to make sure that if there was some quantity of it that got out, you know, nobody could use it. As a consequence, those medications are very limited. That, and that's why. You talk about suicide, uh, suic attempted suicides. I know when I talked to Sonny, we talked about some things in regards to suicide. Uh, was there any suicide cases or attempted suicide that you particularly remember that sticks in your head from your time there? Nobody that was remarkable that sticks in my head that was on purpose. We did have a fair amount of overdoses of things, whether or not they were suicide attempts or not. Sometimes it was hard to know. We gave a lot of Narcan because there was, you know, if there was a way to get anything for that. The problem with people that you give Narcan to, which is to reverse an opiate, you know, they come up swinging. So, oh, yeah. So nobody that comes, that comes to mind, I know there was a couple, but truly that's kind of a bad thing to say, but they're not run of the mill, but they're certainly not um, unheard of either. Uh, there was this one particular inmate that I, that I worked with. She was a female inmate. She'd attempted to do hanging. She had mm -hmm. attempted to cut off her airway and hang herself and staff stopped the suicide attempt in time. But, um, she ended up having to get transferred to the hospital and she had brain damage as a result of cutting off her airway and the brain air to her brain. She was up at the university for a period of time. And when they realized that her abilities are going to be very limited, she had done some major damage. Mm -hmm. They put her on parole. That was the thing. Um, if we had inmates who were terminal or um, their, car, their care started to get really complicated because when I was there, we didn't have that many medical beds. It had been remodeled by the time you got there. It got so complicated and if they couldn't reoffend, they would parole them. But the problem is with that is that then they would parole to nobody that cared or maybe not family or not the support system that they needed. And that was a huge issue for me. And that's really only gotten fixed in Utah just in the last few years for people to make sure that they go out with some sort of care. I mean, these people are still human. So sure, um, sure. That's, but that was a common thing. Like, oh, it looks like they're not getting better. Okay, then, you know, kick them out. And I never liked that part essentially it gets down to you've got part of your your budget for medical is taking care of these people yep and so i'm sure it's just a, it's a budget issue and it sounds cold but you know we're not going to continue to take care of this person and they're not going to be a threat to society anymore so get with the board of pardons and get them and that's exactly it and that's exactly it but unfortunately the whole social structure outside the prison also wasn't set up well yeah. enough for people who had no skills and came out with you know things that needed help for right. so and that really actually gave me a much better look at when I got when I got out of prison on uh, looking in retrospect on that so my patients I would make sure there was social systems set up more for them because I saw I saw that so yeah sure. had a lot of valuable insights out there earlier you had mentioned narcan and people saving up their medications or buying medication from others and then overdosing as an attempt to do suicide dry cell did you ever deal with any dry cell? <laughs> and, and, and so I just want to describe for the listeners, what is a dry cell? You have an individual, whether they 
got brought back in from adult probation parole, they've violated their parole, or if they're a new commitment, whatever the case may be, you think that they've consumed drugs or hidden drugs or whatever, you put them in a dry cell. And if you're the staff that nobody likes, you get stuck on a dry cell, which means you're going to sit in front of that cell and this guy or girl is mostly naked. And when they're ready to poop, you've got a bucket that they will poop in into a bag. And I did many a dry cell, not that I wasn't a popular guy, I hope, but I did it on overtime. So I was making time and a half to sit there and talk to them. And Sue, I didn't like to watch them poop. So I say, hey, look, poop. yeah, not my thing. <laughs> I'm not into the scat scene. But so I would tell them, like, look, if you don't poop for the eight hours or 12 hours that I'm here, I've got sack lunches over here and I'll give you as many as you want if you don't poop. But of course I'm setting it up for the next guy's going to get shit all over because I'm going to give this guy all this food and then he can't hold it anymore. And so I, at least I get to walk out of the shift like, Oh no, he wasn't able to poop, man. Wish you luck. And then yeah. I'm out of there. But so what you do is though, is when you are looking for poop and so you have these legal bags, at least this is the way that I would do it is I would give them a legal bag and have them poop in the legal bag. And then you do that Ziploc top and then you <laughs> squish your way through and you're squishing through. Oh, 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 what's this? Oh, there it is. Oh, oh, no, it's a peanut. Never mind. And then you continue to squish through. Oh, oh, oh what's this? Oh, it's a piece of corn. We're good. You're out of here. You know, after so much time and they say, okay, the person doesn't have any drugs in the system. But did you ever have to uh, deal with that or did you witness it? Or... Oh, yeah. We would have... I like to say if we were on call, we were we were in, and it seemed like those always came in after hours. So um, I also cross-trained on the radiology equipment out there so I could do x-rays without our x-ray tech. So we'd shoot a quick film of them, um, and we could usually kind of see a shadow of something there. <laughs> see? Uh, yeah. And then, and then we dry sell them, and then exactly that, you know? That, oh, here, this is here, medical. This is your, you know bag of poop but um <laughs> it wasn't i have to tell you it wasn't always about poop female inmates would also try and get stuff in obviously and one time on an intake um had this female inmate doing an exam and i looked down there what the fuck is purple <laughs> i could not I could not, I mean, I've seen a lot of things, but I've not seen purple stuff there. So it's like, all right, what, what am I going for here? Oh, oh, is a bottle of nail polish? It broke. Oh. Um, so we had to fish out this bottle of nail polish out of her, the JJ and like, <laughs> okay, there's purple nail polish. They're seeing it all. Wow. So, so what was, I mean, there's additional places to hold things. Sure, sure. Everybody's got a prison purse. <laughs> um, I, there has to be other stories. Like, what are some of the, of the other things that you saw on the x-rays or you fished out of somebody's orifice? You know, we didn't do a lot of fishing because normally we just dry sell them. Um, if okay. it looked, I mean, it, if it went up and it looked fragile or we thought it was fragile, then we'd send them up to the U because there was no point of that. But we did... I mean, there were bottles and there was vegetables and there was, um, I don't know why fingernail polish and makeup is such a big deal, but it is because you got to have your makeup. So there is a lot of different kind of makeup tools and, oh, you know, just give me that. Yeah. Just give me. Just so, so I wonder, did, okay. Do you think that they put it in there because they knew they were going to go to lockdown? They got in trouble or they were going to get dropped in levels and they couldn't have it. And so they all of the it? above, yeah, okay. all of the okay. above. They came in and just couldn't bear the thoughts of having life without purple nail polish. I don't know why that, why it was such a big deal, but yeah, had eyeshadow, eyeliner, things like that. So it was generally coming back on a parole violation or something like that. Now so. you know, here I got a question for you because I'm kind of processing this whole thing through my head. I've seen, I've seen girls put on nail polish, so they'll. They'll sit on a toilet or a, a a bunk or a chair, and they put they pull one foot up and they'll prop it up, and then they take with their let's say if they're right-handed the nail polish dispenser 
do you keep the bottle inside and then you just stab it inside <laughs> and then pull it out? I don't I'm, know. I'm, I'm curious. curious. Never tried it. You should ask. I don't know. I can't imagine. No, I do not know. <laughs> Asking the wrong person. <laughs> I, you know, I just didn't know if maybe that had come up in conversation because you're like, okay, like, do you do you keep it in you or do you take the whole bottle? I'm just curious. Just Thanks curious. for the mental picture on that, by the way. I, <laughs> I hope I painted it well as well as she did her nails with that purple. Oh, how funny. Yeah. Yeah, that bottle <laughs> that bottle broke. So that was his entire oh. Yeah, it was broken. Did you have to treat her for like uh ingesting the, the actual chemical of the nail polish? Oh. Just, no, clean, okay. just clean it out. It's like, oh, douche her out. Okay. Maybe put a couple of fingers in there and use what you got left that's running out of there. I don't know, but I'm <laughs> I'm taking that broken bottle out of there. Okay, right on. <laughs> um, you know, as we talk about stuff and things in different orifices, uh, I should be an expert in this because I am the gay Florida man. But <laughs> I've been outdone by one particular inmate, and I'm going to call him Randy. You probably know this person. If you didn't meet him in the time that you were there, I'm sure Sonny probably updated you. But this individual would act out and he would stuff whatever he could find into his pee hole on his penis. Oh, I have such a story for you. Okay. Well, let me let me tell you the details of mine. Maybe you could you know who this is. But this guy was just a constant problem. And he he could get paint chips uh, or caulking whatever he could get off the ground inside of a cell he would dig and he would stuff this stuff up into as far in as he could get and at one point the nurse had to give him a catheter mm. and mm. so i had to hold this guy down while the nurse this was a male nurse took a catheter lubed it up and was shoving it in and this guy i had to he probably liked it he was, uh, Sue, I'm not shitting you. He liked the satisfaction of getting attention. Yeah. But at that point, he regretted it, I think, because he was screaming. And I had to lay across his chest. He was drenched in sweat. And it was pretty miserable to watch. The nurse never got the catheter in. There was still whatever he had still stuck up in there. Stuck up in there. That he didn't tell us about. But he would shove pencils and whatever he could get his hands on. And at one point, he finally went to his anus. And he <laughs> he took the, the book, Moby Dick. Now, I don't know how many pages are in that motherfucker, but he <laughs> rolled that thing and he shoved it up his ass. And he told me, he's like, I've got Moby Dick up my ass. And I said, everyone's a critic. <laughs> Is that the name of his new Sally? <laughs> right, right, right. Um, so, yeah, he. I think that like with Moby Dick, we got... <laughs> We got Moby Dick out of his ass. We didn't have to send him up to the, the medical center for that. But a lot of the things, he had so much scar tissue. That's why that nurse couldn't get that catheter up in there. He had so much scar tissue. Once he finished his sentence, Utah was so happy to give him a bus ticket. Guess where he went? Nevada. No. Where every other fucking nut goes like me, Florida. Oh, <laughs> well. <laughs> There's lots of sand down there. You can use that. Yeah, well, and he'll fit right in because there's a million fucking nuts here. <laughs> so we had a guy, and I know you know this guy, a very, very large guy. Um, he <laughs> was he was on oxygen. Um, so he had oxygen tubing, right? So we'd give him one, take one, trade it out. He came in one day, and he was a diabetic, and he had a lot of other issues. So he came in. He'd put a medical request in. And he comes in, he said, I've got this thing shoved, you know, up there. And by that time, I'm like, oh, all right, show me something new. Because really, this isn't very creative. But um, I look at it, and he has got the flared end of the oxygen tubing sticking out. So the, the end that you would normally put on the oxygen bottle. Okay. okay so that's just hanging out. Wow. And I'm like, shit. Tell me that you cut this that you just use the straight length of it no the whole thing's up there really so he had folded it where the nose prongs were um and got that through and then just kept pushing it through and i think he'd had it in for quite a while and was just like you know back and forth back and forth okay whatever but then the problem was he couldn't get it out Ooh. so we shot a quick x-ray looked at all these shadows in there and i'm like oh 
shit, what did you do? So he had shoved the entire length of the oxygen tubing up there with the nasal prongs on it. I don't know if I should say impressive or not. I don't know. So I kept trying to like pull it out like, okay, we'd get so far and then nothing would come out. We kept trying it and nothing would come out. It's like, I, I don't know how we're going to do this. So we shipped him up to the U. They sent him to urology. He was too huge to open his bladder. Anyway, they're like, well, we don't have any other way of doing this. So they just kept pulling and pulling and pulling and pulling until the thing nodded. And then, and then they put their foot on the edge of the bed and yanked. Oh my God. (laughs) And you just clenched. I know you did. (laughs) Uh, Oh yeah. Yeah. So yeah, they yanked that out and he could, you know, he had really difficulty peeing for the rest of his life. Could, could they hear him screaming in China? I'm sure. Jesus Christ. I'm sure. That's bad. Yeah, that was the winner as far as stuff that went up, except for the guy who put bleach up there too. There's that story too. Um, but now, why? why uh, sorry, we digress. Why? Why? Why bleach? Why? What? His? What's his problem? So this was a young guy, um, and he was going to have a hot urine, and he knew <laughs> he knew he was going to have a pee test the next day or whatever. So he got a pen cartridge, and somehow got bleach, you know, from the cleaning crew or whatever put the pan cartridge up and then put bleach inside his bladder just before he was supposed to have his pee test. Right. So remember how you'd like take them all in visiting or whatever, lock them in and they'd have to take turns and yeah. You know, yep. pee, right. Yep. So for some reason that process went a lot longer than he had anticipated like hours. So he eventually, you know, gave his pee test and never did hear back whether it was hot or not, but, and it hurt. But then he came in to see me, you know, like three or four weeks later, and he's like, I I can't get it up anymore. I'm like, that's really not a prison problem. Really? I really, I don't, I don't really care, but that's not a prison problem. But okay. Well, it, it, Sue, it shouldn't be a problem worrying about getting it up in prison. Right. Right, but, <laughs> but that you know, okay, you got me. What did you do? And he let him and honey. Anyway, he was gonna have a hot urine. He'd put bleach up there. Um, I'm like, okay, you know. So I sent him up to the U, and they discovered that because of the bleach that had been left in his bladder so long, he ruined the nerve that makes it so you can get it up. He's a young guy, and he was never ever. There was no fixing it. There's oh no my fixing God. it for this stupid, stupid hot urine and a write up or whatever it was going to be. He ruined his, he ruined sex his sex life. life wow. Forever. That's terrible. It it was tragic. It was humorous, but it, but it was tragic. And it's like, ah, you, you just, did you even think, you know, you didn't think this through. You just thought, you know, your P test is going to be positive. So that's too bad. I mean, I hope he likes being a bottom. Right. Exactly. <laughs> like, dude, your your role in life is set, honey. I'm so sorry. <laughs> that's terrible. Oh so, yeah. I, I want to talk. We we had talked before today's uh, little discussion. We were messaging back and forth. Cause as we talk about holes and and things, one of the things that comes to mind is a uh a colostomy. And I know that we both know an individual that got shot by the cops and he had a colostomy. And for those of you that don't know, I think everybody knows at this point, it's when you can't go to the bathroom like the rest of us do. And so you have a hole called a stoma and jump in at any time if I'm wrong here, Sue, but it's a stoma and then a glue goes around the hole, the stoma, and then you have this bag so that your body defecates through the stoma into a colostomy bag, right? Right. And so we have this individual got shot by the cops because he decided to take him on and be a hero and got shot. Now he's got a poop in a bag. But, you know, the only thing that's really kind of like the silver lining about having uh, a colostomy and a stoma is it's kind of nice to be in prison and get a little on the side. Because there's this one other guy that had a, a colostomy and a stoma, and he was letting guys actually fuck him in the stoma. And it's it's a great way to earn commissary, and if it's too sensitive in your ass, 
then you just sell your stoma and let guys <laughs> fuck you there. This guy that we're talking about, though, again, I digress. Any port so in a storm, I guess. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> so with the guy that we're talking about one time, I'll never forget going up to his cell window. And I said, what in the fuck happened to you? He had tried to make dreadlocks. Now, this is a white guy. And he had taken his uh, colostomy bag, stoma glue, and rubbed it all through his hair because he thought that would create dreadlocks. <laughs> and so he just looked fucking stupid with all this glue and his hair's all fucked up. And it's like, you know, what's what happened? He's like, well, I wanted to have dreadlocks, so I used my stoma glue. I thought that would work. Well, now you look really fucking bad, bud. But <laughs> and it's just going to have to grow out, so they shave it. Yes. Now, did you, you, do you know who the the person I'm talking about? Because he had one leg shorter than the other. He kind of wobbled when he walked. I uh, absolutely do. I was there when he came in. Oh, um, as a new inmate. As a new inmate. Wow. Yeah, because it his hip joint had been gone in the shooting. Oh. So he was on crutches or wheelchair bound for a really, really long time. And we had to deal with all that. And of all the inmates over the years that I've taken care of, he was the one that was so disrespectful and so nasty and so horrible to me. I have never been mistreated by any of them other than him. Sometimes their life comes back around. But <laughs> yeah, he, we had to take care. We had him on the medical side forever with all of that wound care and his hip and all that. So yeah, he was not as, as mentally ill when he came in as he was by the time he got over in the mental health unit. I've heard he, that he's really around the bend now, but he wasn't then. I can't remember because there's just so many different names and, and stories, but I believe that some, uh, I think he got cancer. Because the last time that his name was brought up, and it's been years, but I, I'd heard that he had lost a ton of weight and he was battling cancer. I don't know. I don't yeah. talk to anybody that know. I mean, everybody knows him, but I hadn't heard that part. Yeah. Yeah. He he didn't. Karma's a bitch. <laughs> He's, he just he was always out to lunch. Like he would talk to you at the cell door. And I don't know, like, he's kind of like a fucked up version of Yosemite Sam. Like a Yosemite Sam that wears a colostomy bag that one leg was shorter than the other because he had, like, facial hair that was red. And he would talk, you know, real gruff. And he would say, hey, I went to the doctor. And he would tell me, like, how much poop they'd pulled out of his colon. And just really weird stories. And it's like, okay, man, whatever. He was never that crazy when he came in. He was just he was, angry. He was just angry and disrespectful and enjoyed having people take care of him was, I mean, physically disrespectful to me, which like say never, never happened with mm. any other inmate. I generally had a lot of respect from inmates out there. I didn't have too much problem, but I did with him. It's, you know, and I try to tell people and I try to reemphasize that, any person is really not that far from going to prison. Like I would not ever distance myself because people have ended up in prison for things that you would think, well, that doesn't happen. You would serve a little jail time or you'd get probation. Right. And I met people that were in prison and they told me their story and I checked, I read their pre-sentence investigative report and it really wasn't that bad. I'm like, you got a shitty attorney. That's terrible. Anybody could, uh, under the right circumstances, end up in prison. And and when you throw in that extra added mental illness, yeah. if it's not properly taken care of, and if it if they decompensate, you could run higher risk of ending. Yeah, it can turn into a dumping ground because nobody knows what to do with them, and then they get mm -hmm. you know they get their mental illness treated for a minute, get stabilized, and send them back, and they get destabilized because they're in a population. You know, yeah. So there's all of those boxes. Whereas if he'd been on the outside, he probably would have just been a, another little stupid bandit. But mm -hmm. um, he, it was just one thing after another. Yeah, he has a special place in my memory. It's funny you brought him up because, yeah, I didn't. You did first because 
generally, <laughs> generally it went okay. There was, I was like going to take a kind of on that term of respect. There was, there was one time I hadn't been out there for very long. Um, and I was doing this kind of routine medical visit with this guy and I looked down and his dick had, was out. And I'm like, oh, okay, this visit's over. Put that away. Oh, it must have just fallen out. Oh, yeah, and I'm right. like, yeah, right. That doesn't happen. This was intentional. Get out of my sight. Are you are you alone in the room with him, like in a, in a medical office um, or? We, I was in the infirmary, so we had the beds that were separated by curtains. Okay. I, yep. I think it was a little bit different um, by the time you got there, but we had like one big room with three or four beds with curtains between them. Um, so I said, get out. And I threw him out. I, you know, I thought about it and I got angrier and angrier. And then the corridor officer told me that he was still lurking around being a pain and trying to get back. And cause I was new, you know, any new sure. woman was going to, you know, have people sniffing around, especially Stick. in medical. And I, it made me really angry. And then I thought about it overnight, angrier I got. And I thought, I just cannot let this level of disrespect go. This is just going to be a problem. Um, so the next day I had him clear the infirmary, except for probably two or three, four inmates that kind of, well, we used to call them wheels. They would kind of run things. They had sort of the, the thing, heavy, the heavies. Yeah. So except yep. for three or four of them and had them in the waiting room. Um, and I had this guy brought back and <laughs> then I, I yelled at him and I, don't yell at patients often. And I yelled at this guy and I got in his face and I told him, you know, you were going to respect all of medical, especially women. And we're not going to have this show of disrespect. I have six months to bring up, bring you up on new charges. And, you know, you're never coming back to medical unless your eyeballs hanging out, you're hanging a bloody stub. And even then the officer is going to have to bring you back. So I really gave this guy a going over and then I, and then I threw him out. A couple of weeks later, I'm doing this regular medical visit on this uh, uh, one of the skinheads on one of the Aryans. So we're talking, and he's like, "So, I heard so and so flopped his dick out." Okay, <laughs> you know, we can chop that off and throw it over the fence for you if you want. <laughs> <laughs> they're they're going to make sure that justice is served. <laughs> yeah, quid pro quo. So I said, you know. Wow, that's an interesting offer. Thanks, but I can handle my own stuff. But thank you for the thought. <laughs> I can handle my own. And just as a by the way, if anything ever happens to you or to this guy, I'm going to refer him to you. <laughs> All right. <laughs> and the guy looks at me like, yeah, okay. So and, goodbye. You're done. I can solve my own problems but right there was a guy um over in una5 and he had one leg which was always fun because i'd worked with him multiple times and normally when it's the end of the day and you tell inmates to rack in for counter rack in for chow rack in whatever you know you tell everybody to rack in was the term in utah mm -hmm. except for you you hop in is what I used to tell him. <laughs> and he, you know, he would normally grieve staff, but he knew that my intentions were never to make fun of him, embarrass him. And I was just joking. And he knew that. And we always had a great, great time together professionally. But one time he was in <laughs> five and he was, he had not woken up for the 830 stand up count. And he's on the bottom bunk and he's laying there and his, his fly on his boxers is open and his dick's hanging out. And I had come up to his cell, myself and the other officer, and it's time for the stand-up count. And I said, hey, hey, what are you doing, man? It's stand-up count. And he wakes up and he's disoriented. And I said, will you please stand up for count and put your cock back in your fucking pants? He's like, oh, it's got a mind of its own. I'm sorry, Dwolf. And he stood up <laughs> and, and we all laughed. All the other inmates in the section laughed. He put his dick away and we went on our way and we finished the stand-up count. It was great. <laughs> Another day on the job. <laughs> yep, yep. I remember the story that, you know, Officer Sonny told you about helicopter dick. Oh, And yes. I'd go into that unit and he'd be up there on second tier and he'd be slinging that thing around and be like, 
Oh, Lordy. It's impressive, but would you please put it away? Do you remember the details about that particular individual? Was he a product of incest? I don't. I don't. That's what I'd always heard, and I'd heard that he was in prison because he had um, he had raped a disabled girl. I that's... made it a point of not pulling jackets and not looking at sure. stories. There was a couple. I got. I had a guy that was sending me love notes, and so we did pull his jacket to see what was up, and then I had to write a report every time. So he gave me one uh, and stick it in there, and then I was actually on his. Uh, what do you call it when he paroles? I was on his notification list. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, yeah, because it, it it got stupid. But that I rarely pulled jackets to find out what was, you know, it generally wasn't germane. I'm, you know, giving these guys and gals good as care as I possibly can. And I saw my job to judge. Just, no. you know, don't sling your dick in a helicopter when I come on the tier. Really, <laughs> well, you know, the guy, it's distracting. I, well, I remember that guy and it's like, put your dick away. Well, it takes a few minutes with that guy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> those things okay, that you untie like. Untie your shoes and then, you know. <laughs> it's like the, one of those things that, yeah, yeah your, your garden hose, you have to, that, that swivel, that, that thing that you have to wrap it up. He needed one of those. Because yeah. that guy had a, the biggest dick ever. I don't know if you heard about this case, and I bring this up because essentially it's a medical situation and it turned into one real fast, but it was a very, very sad case. But uh, Sue, when you were there, were, did they keep the diagnostic inmates that the courts were waiting for that report? Did they keep them on A block? Mm -hmm. uh, I think A East? Or no, a, no, a West. A West, 90 days okay. on A West, yeah. Okay, so you, I know you know this story, and this was probably after your time there, but there was a diagnostic and you got a picture for those people listening. A block is three or four tiers high. You've got a railing and it looks straight down. So it's just this gigantic open building with all your cells, but you can look up from the, the ground floor. You can see all the cells, one, two, three, four stories high. And there were situations where, you know, you hear these stories about inmates getting thrown off or stuff dropped on the officer's cage, which is his office on the bottom tier. But it's all open and it's controlled by Johnson bars. And those are when you see these old movies with these gigantic bars, all those doors on a tier are controlled with this arm. You could do, I think, one cell at a time if you know how to operate Johnson bars. But this particular tier, when they scream down the tier, closing the doors, and they pull these big arms, there is so much weight and momentum behind these doors when they slam. And you've got to get clear of those things because they will do damage. So they have this diagnostic guy, and I, I understand he wasn't even 30 years old. I was not working, so I'm basically telling the story from the perspective of what I heard from staff and people that worked the situation. You have this guy. He's young. He's going to be getting out soon uh, as long as the diagnostic didn't flag him for recommendation for prison. He's down inside one of these cells, and he's fucking around, and he's putting his head in and out of the cell door, the door frame. The officers said, door's closing. And they pull the arm down and all these doors close at once. Well, the door caught this guy's head. It pinched his head. And again, the way the story was told to me, stop me, Sue, if I'm telling this wrong, but it caught his jaw. When the door hit his head, it bounced open momentarily. The guy falls back into the cell, sits down, looks at his roommate. His roommate's like, dude, are you okay? And he's looking at him. Clearly something's going on because he... He's just staring at his roommate, and then blood starts coming out of his his mouth, his ears, his nose. The way that it was described to me is, is that when that door pinched on his head, it broke his jaw. And then that cut like an artery in his neck. And so he was bleeding out internally as this is happening. And so all the blood, having no place to go, starts coming out of all the orifices wherever it could go. And he starts begging for help, and then the terminology is man down. So they start screaming the inmates, man down, man down. And so staff start running down there and they see this guy and they don't see what's happening, but they see all this blood coming out of his head and they activate IMS. They get staff there. 
they get him on a gurney and they start wheeling him up to the infirmary and he's begging them to save his life. Like, please don't let me die. Please don't let me die. And I guess even if they had him on an operating table, they couldn't have saved his life. But there was a trail of blood from a block all the way up to the infirmary where he was basically bleeding out right there uh, in the, in the corridors. They were racing to try to help him. I, you know, I'd heard that story. Um, I, I don't recall ever hearing any, nothing happened while I was there with the, with the doors mm -hmm. that and, and the Sally ports as well. I, you know, they are, they're scary. Um, I, sure that that led to changes not then hopefully with the new one um, I, they you know they don't use those johnson bars anymore but i think they might still up there on a west don't they well what they did was is they put in like the old style red revolving lights like on the top of a police car oh they so put they those so so when they when they start to engage the bars when they're going to close the doors those lights start going off to you know so they know not yeah. to and and they, I'm sure they still yell, close the doors or whatever they yell. And then they, they pull the doors shut, but those lights come on. So visually you can see, get away from the door, stay away from that door. There are things that happen. I know um, Officer Sully and I were <laughs> <laughs> in Tijuana one time and we might have had a few Tijuana drinks. And we, <laughs> we allegedly. Allegedly. Um, when we were up on the, the balcony of a restaurant up there and, and maybe a few Tijuana drinks in and we looked down and here on the, at the intersection were like these two great big skinhead tattoos, dude, I mean, just like, oh, screamed inmate, you know? And so both of us are like, what can we say that only an inmate would recognize? <laughs> 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 there you go there we go these two guys looking around looking up we're like oh we dive to go back into the uh, back into the restaurant but it's like oh yeah well i guess we were right about that that's true oh, that, rack only, that rack in well yeah i'll do it so every you time you could scream that in a theater and, and nobody would do a thing well you know? somebody's gonna turn around and you know that they've been in prison and, <laughs> yeah, they, turn exactly. and they look at you like you're an officer then you know that guy's been in prison. Yeah. Yeah. Do you miss yeah. anything about working there? I miss the variety of just the stuff. I mean, you cannot get, I was in charge of all the HIV positive inmates as well as any TV Ooh. positive inmates there. So I miss, I miss the sheer variety and learning experience of things you know, UCI, Utah Correctional Industries, so power tools and inmates. <laughs> I I got so much good experience at suturing and plastic surgery work and wound repair and stuff like that. That that was fun. I I wasn't my fault they injured themselves, but um, I really you know gave it my best to repair these guys because there was some bizarre shit that they do out there. So I miss the variety. I do. Did you ever anybody ever get their hands smashed by the 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 mm. license plate machine? So many. Really? Is there anything to reconstruct? When I mean, when those machines press that metal to make the license plate, did you have guys that got their fingers caught in that? Fingers, a finger. I mean, they always got set up to hand surgery up at the U. It kind wow. of depends. I remember a couple that didn't really take I, I remember a guy it wasn't the it wasn't the smasher but he'd somehow opened the back of his hand from his fingers all the way up his arm and i don't know what tool he was using oh. it took me hours to put that together but it was really interesting in that you could see every single structure and tendon sheath and everything it was really cool to me and it i was lucky because i had the time to be able to do it um just you know cancel off your schedule and he was I worked with him for months with his physical therapy and stuff. So I miss that part, sort of that whole care kind of aspect of it. But I mean, it was interesting as shit. I mean, they were always doing something. See, and I can handle Jason Friday the 13th, Halloween, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. But I also know there's a realization that that shit's fake. And behind the camera, there's 50 mm. people. When I see situations inside the, the, the prison and, and, and at one time, uh, this kid, and this was in the mental health unit, 
Something had happened. Another inmate had made him real mad and he did not know how to handle his anger and get frustrated. And he's in his cell sitting at his desk and he's so mad and he's got a pen and, and over in Olympus, his security <laughs> level, he wore all whites and he starts taking the pen and he's in a sitting position. He's just starts stabbing his leg. And every time he stabs his leg, you could see the blood, the blood start to blot, mm -hmm. you know, coming through the white pants. And he just sitting there stabbing himself. And I was talking to him to the cuff port, trying to remain calm, trying not to get tunnel vision, <laughs> you know, getting help and getting him just to stop stabbing himself. You get that tunnel vision. You, when you see it's happening, right, just a couple of feet in front of you, it's very, very stressful. It is. And, and I think my background is ER and ICU also helped not, I mean, I seriously, I've seen it. I, I've watched it. That stuff does not bother me. You know, you get the shakes after whatever, if you see something like that a little bit with the emergent kind of stuff, but it's also interesting. And then you give it your best shot at, you know, making it better and putting it back together. Right. I saw a particular officer because if they had a, if they had an inmate that they had to use the pepper ball gun on, if they're, you, you know how it was. If you thought you might need medical on a particular takedown or whatever, you'd call medical that we'd come down to the block. And this guy was naked. He was, he was nuts. He'd nutted up. He wouldn't rack in. They tried everything. And this particular officer just started hitting him with the paintball gun. And you've been hit with those usually once. You'll stop. <laughs> Not fun. It, no, no. So this guy, I mean, he just down his chest. Bing, 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 bing. Just kept going down. Bing, bing, bing. Guy crossed his hands over his nuts, got the back of his hands, got his nuts through that. The guy turned. Bing, bing, bing. Finally, when he turned his back, <laughs> they were they were able to plow him and get him and get him down, you know. Um, so I stood there and watched that. They'd called us down. I'm like, uh. so they brought him back down. So some of those pepper ball gun, the balls had gone through the skin. On the Ooh. back of his hand and his nuts. Um, so we had to take care of that. He was in that four-point chair kind of stuff. I mean, that was interesting but horrifying because it's like, this is really real. An average person is going to stop it too. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And this guy, he that's how crazy he was. He, you know, those things were... Did, not not in your nuts, okay? Never well, did, hang did those it, out. Did the pepper ball destroy his nut? Or not? Did, it did not because, but it sure bruised. I mean, it Ooh. was a mess. It went through the skin, cut the skin, cut the skin on his backs of his hands and stuff. Wow. Yeah, there was some wound care going on there. Did you hear about the guy? And I think it, I don't, it wasn't pepper ball, and it was the SWAT team. And it was a guy in the Uwinas, which was Max. And he had the matches in front of him. And I think it was that beanbag round. And yeah, I they, heard about that. Yeah, they warned the guy, stop. And, and when they shot it, he jumped up. And the beanbag round went right through the mattress and yep. split his dick in half. Yep. And took off one of his testicles. It's one of those situations where, fortunately, I was not working. So. Yeah, non-lethal doesn't mean non-damaging. <laughs> wise <laughs> words, dude. Wise words. Any no. other uh, any other notable stories before we come to a close? Oh, wow. notable stories. Do you remember? And I will call him by his nickname because I think everybody did. His nick okay. nickname was Monster. Um, it doesn't ring a bell. So tell me more. Okay, well, this is a big old guy. He was a um, interstate compact from California. Okay. Um, he was like six foot eight, huge, bald, tattooed, looked like monster. He was um, he turned on the Aryans, I think, and was doing his time in Utah. You know, I was sewing up something of his one time, his face or something, and I was having problems with my teenage son at the time, a lot of problems. And I thought, who better to give me advice on how to keep him, you know, than a guy like this. Sure. I mean, yeah, I got nothing to lose. So I asked him um, about it, and he was giving me some really good advice about let him take all the consequences, things like that. It was really good advice, and we just sort of bonded over this kid, and, you know, I'm sewing up whatever it is I'm sewing up. 
But every time after that, for the next two years, I'd see Monster in the hall and he'd go, hey, how's our boy? <laughs> <laughs> Did you turn some men? Oh, he's good. Okay, see you later. <laughs> What's your connection with Monster? That's our people. boy? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he I meant well. It. It, yeah, it turned a lot of heads, but that was that guy. You know, I had his respect. It was it was good, but I wish he'd used a few different words. <laughs> yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> you know, you meet some people that uh, that you work with inside prison that are incarcerated. They're not bad to deal with. They're enjoyable, mm -hmm. and sometimes they can make your your shift really fun or enjoyable. In the oh, one her. situation with the guy that wanted to rock out with his cock out with you, uh, you, you had other people that wanted to protect you that would take care of business. And I met a lot of people that I could have, under different circumstances, been friends with them outside of the prison. Of course, because I met them in prison, then it's mm -hmm. not going to happen. But they, you know, you you see these people, you meet these people, and, and a lot of them especially when they're not on drugs and they're right. not dealing with the mental illness stuff, they're medicated properly. Right. They're really easy to deal with. And it's yep. sad that they ended up there, but I, you know, but they're, like you said, they're for, but for the grace of God and these people, I mean, they're still, when it comes down to it, somebody's sons and daughters mm -hmm. and they're, you know, give me a bank robber, simple, straightforward guy. Anytime they're usually, you know, I mean, they're, you know, except for the fact that they're there, good humans and, you know, you have some respect there. And you always felt like if you didn't have the inmates watching out for you, two officers and 250 inmates. Yeah. And especially as medical, because we had really no authority. We, we needed to build that respect with those people. So yeah, I, I don't I'm, regret my time there at all. I liked it. I've got one final story to tell before we come to a close on the medical side of prison. It's what you're talking about with, with people and having, make sure the inmates know who you are and, and working with them and being professional. And I was in the Olympus building, which is the mental health building. And I was with the nurse and we were doing pill line and we go into this section. Now we've got this big medical cart, which is like a big tool cart filled with meds and, different things that medical staff use. And so the nurse and I had gone into Charlie's section to go hand out meds. And we're in there and we're going door to door for the lockdowns, giving them their medication. And we go to leave. Of course, we had to lock ourselves in because of the medical cart, we don't want the inmates going out there and getting into meds. I uh, I go to get on my radio to let, let the control room officer know Charlie's section door. And as soon as I key the mic, it chirps, the battery's dead. It happens. So you reach over and you, you hit the call button on the wall. I can see into the control room, even though it's mirrored, it's backlit by another section and the control room officer is not there. Uh, I'm waiting and I keep watching and an inmate comes up behind me, Sue. And he says, looks like you're in here with us. <laughs> and the nurse, another minute goes by and I can see the anxiety in the nurse's face. And she mm -hmm. says, you know, this is really, this really isn't good. And I look around and, you know, you have 30 something inmates looking at you, you know, you know, most of, most of them aren't really paying attention, but you know enough. And you realize that very quickly, this situation could escalate. Mm -hmm. And this could be that moment when you're on national news, exactly. which is where, where you don't want to be. So I screamed into the section to all the inmates go inside your rooms and hit your call button so they all go in and so inside the control room if you have a call button for each cell starting to light up the entire control room is going to start glowing from all oh, the light so that get your attention yeah they do that and i'm watching from the door and i see the officer come running into the control room because he realizes shit's gone down because when all the lights light up, then something bad's happening. And so he releases the section door. I come out and I go over to the control room. And I look in there and he can see by my face, I'm at a whole new level of pissed. <laughs> and I said to him, I said, you 
fucked me. <laughs> All the blood drained out of his face. I don't like talking to another staff like that, but that is such a dangerous situation. Yeah. Didn't feel good. And when you have the nurse looking at you like, what are you going to do? Yeah. It was an experience that he nor I nor her will ever forget. <laughs> you know, I'm, yeah, I don't know if you have time for one more story, but sure. You remember how Oakers was set up? So, kind of a pod, and they would have medical room down at the very end of the yep. hall. Yeah. So, they would have medical room behind the broom closet, essentially. So, all the way down at the end. Um, and the doors opened from inside, they locked from the inside. So, if those doors were shut, nobody could get in. So when I was there, we had as medical, I didn't have an MA with me. I didn't have an officer with me. Our telephone line was hung up with the computer. They didn't give us radios. They didn't give us body alarms. They gave us nothing. I took a rubber door stopper and jammed the door open. I was not happy about that situation. And it wasn't the only setup like that. UNAs used to be like that as well. So as NPs and PAs, they would rotate us about every three months through the section. So I worked everywhere um, sooner or later. So you, you know, you kind of got the feel of things. But um, the safety issues for medical was huge when I was there. Absolutely huge. I sent memos. I sent emails. I documented everything. I tried to get as much attention as I could, and I and they just weren't having it. They do. They couldn't spare us officers. Officers, if they knew we were there, which was great. They always had our support or they supported us. But I mean, things can happen, you know, get distracted, Absolutely. whatever. We're at the end of a hall. Um, so it was pretty unsafe. Um, I made a lot of noise about it. Unfortunately, after I quit, um, about three or four months, what I said was going to happen happened. So one of the MAs, one of the medical assistants got trapped in the medical room in the UNO section with a UNO inmate. And he kicked the door shut, proceeded to try and rape her and beat living shit out of her. The only way the officers knew she was in there was all the other inmates started banging on the doors, yelling for the officers and yelling for attention. God. And he was it not, was, the inmate wasn't restrained at all. No. That's well, stupid. apparently not. Stupid. Um, so, you know, they went in there. I mean, her life was destroyed from there on out. But after that, things started to change some safety things that started to be instituted after that. But she reached out to me uh, three or four months later and I sent her all copies of all my emails. Good. Um, Good. And you know, all the prison could do was just open their checkbook and write her a check. Well, and, and they should, because you, and they should. Right. you saw the, the, the safety problems. Yeah. You knew but it was going to happen. Until, but not until it was too late. But that was the th that was the thing. I mean, basically, the other inmates saved her. They were trying to get their yeah. officers' attention for her. I mean, that could have happened in any unit, pretty much anywhere, except for you know there in the infirmary. So it was a huge it was a huge deal. Um, I never felt unsafe. You know, I also have a level of paranoia in my world still that most other medical professionals don't have. They're not afraid to like turn their back on a suture kit, for instance. I mean, you would right. never turn your back on a suture kit, for instance, or Inside. turn your back on anything. Right. Um, so I I learned a lot of things. Um, Officer Sonny told me I needed to find another job. <laughs> well, you know, I if anybody has the common sense and the intuitive instinct to work in a place like that, it's definitely you. And I, but you also clearly just from talking to you today, the way that you treat people is going to also go a long way. And I'm sure that with the exception of the guy that decided to be inappropriate with you, other than him, I imagine you were very well respected amongst the inmate population. Well, even in his case, it wasn't personal. I mean, it was just like, oh, there's a new, you know, let's try this routine. And right. I could have, I could have treated that differently. But as it was, I, you know, used the tools at hand, which were other inmates who really were going to have my back to kind, you know, maybe they heard it in the waiting room. Maybe. Wow. They, you got to have, you got to use what you've got, but respect 
respect was all of it. So that's what they talk. That's what they talk about in prison all the time. It's all about respect. Yep. So, well, Suze, thank you so much for being on today's podcast. Well, you're welcome. This was fun. Oh, I always tell stories. I hope you'll come back and join us again. We'll have to do a part two about the medical side of prison. Anything you'd like. I'm always there. And I'm going to end today by telling you what I say every week for all of our listeners. Be good. And if you can't be good, be good at it. And if you're sitting inside the fucking prison, even if it's in the infirmary in prison, you're not good at it. Good night, everybody. Good night, Sue. (laughs) Good night, Mark. It's been fun. (laughs) 